Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged as you listen today. something that I think is a, it is amongst the top three or four issues for me in the church around the world at this time. It is to do with how we perceive God's direction and guidance for our lives, how we walk in the will of God for our lives. I want to start by saying that anything God does in history, anything God does, something, somewhere, doesn't start with something somewhere. It starts with someone. Everything God does starts with a person like you and like me. Everything God does starts with a person. So when the Bible says things like God found Noah in Genesis, it seems a strange thing that an omniscient, omnipotent God would need to find anybody. But God found Noah. That phrase is not just connecting in the narrative It is an insight to how God operates in the earth and always has. When it says that God gave a a, a dream to Joseph or God called Moses or God uh, used Esther or Ruth and on it goes throughout Scripture, what we're realizing is around that person's life, something began to unfold that we now retrospectively call the purpose of God. And around these individuals' lives and sometimes large groups of people, God wrote history. It would help us in our Bibles if when we turned the pages, there were sections of blank pages. And on the page it said, God couldn't find anybody. God couldn't find anybody. God couldn't find anybody. Because that's what's often happened in history. Because we are the random factor in God's dealings throughout history. God is the same. The Word of God is the same. God's purpose is the same. The Holy Spirit is the same. The, the unknown, quantifiable, unquantifiable, random X factor in history is ourselves. The church in any given generation, God's purpose is as good as the church he has available in that generation. We are here. This is our time. This is our turn. There is no cavalry. There is no plan B. There is no spiritual Navy SEALs going to drop in from heaven on a rope to, to sort it all out. We are it. And I... I'm laboring this with you because I think around the world, we kind of have two schools of thinking that are probably more, but certainly two, that broadly people and charismatics, and we would broadly fall into that category and that tribe, have fallen into. And it's two schools of divine guidance, and it depends what you're in tonight as to how you view what I'm saying to you. The first school of divine guidance of how God guides us, how God gets things done, the philosophy is this. I don't move without God's guidance. And it sounds like something you'd all want to have said about your life. There's a second school of divine guidance, which is under-attended, under-subscribed, and I'm on a drive to get more people to join it. And the philosophy of this school of divine guidance is not, I don't move without God's guidance, but it is, I don't expect God's guidance until I move. They sound similar, but they're very different. So when God found Noah and God gave a dream to Joseph and God spoke to Moses, it was the beginning of God's activity in the earth through those people and through the movement and the commitment and the cooperation of their lives, we know because we can read it, history got written. God has not come up with a better idea since then. Now, if I were God, I think I'd have a better idea than limiting myself to people. 
People are unreliable. People are flaky. People are emotional. People fail. People are weak, and then they're strong, and then they're weak again. But God has condescended and limited himself to work with people like you and I still to get things done in the earth. I believe that history owes as much and is indebted as much to a move of people as it ever has been to a move of God. I believe that what the world needs is an outpouring of you, not an outpouring of God. And yet around the world, we have millions of Christians parked up looking to God to do something. Then we get a language for it. We call it a visitation, or we call it an end-time move of God, or we call it revival. I'm not sure where we get that language from. The more we use it, the more we put it in the lyrics of our songs, the more we use it in our praying. I think the more we believe it's some kind of biblical language that we should all keep using. And therefore, it furthers and deepens the idea that the way God gets things done is is that we may be the generations that's lucky enough to get that move of God previous generations didn't. And so we call to God, we shabba-dabba-do a bit more, we pray and we fast in the hope that God would visit us, do something. And the idea is that, and it's like a, a celestial chess game. It's like we're sat across the table from God and we're looking at God and we're saying to God, it's your move. And God's looking at the church and saying, it's not my move, it's your move. And neither of us do anything for generations and years go by. In the meantime, we pray and we ask God to do something, believing that until he does something, whatever it is, that our towns and our cities and our churches will not become what they can become and will not see the impact and influence that we believe God wants us to have. And churches around the world, I promise you, for 10 and 20 years or more that have had that philosophy but have not grown. And this great end time move of God has not come. Are now getting open to a new idea. And the new idea is on, along the lines of what I'm teaching you tonight. That it's not something that is still to come from heaven. Because if that's true, I have to ask a question of us. Do we believe that heaven has something better than Jesus to send into the earth? Because the way we pray and the way we speak, it's as if God is holding out on the church. It's as if God has still got some big end time thing that we have not seen yet, that's not here yet. And if we will pray enough and if we will sacrifice enough and if we will be perfect enough, God may send that in our generation of the church. But it suggests that God has got something up his sleeve that's better. By definition, it must be that it's better than what God sent to the earth, his son, 2,000 years ago. So I think God looks at us and says, what have you done, what are you doing with Jesus? What are you doing with all that stuff that is loaded up inside you? The way we pray, it's as if what God's going to do is, is somehow gonna be in spite of us and outside of us because we don't think that what God wants to do could possibly be anything to do with what God has already put inside you. Whatever's going to happen in this church and through this church in the next 20 years is not in heaven. It's already here. It's in this room. It's inside you. But I have a job convincing believers to believe what I just said to you. Because some of you don't feel special. Some of you don't feel capable. Some of you don't feel your life is where it should be. Some of you don't feel you have the right range of gifting to be able to be used by God. So you'd rather find it easier to believe 
that God is going to do something kind of in spite of you because you are too poor a resource and too weak a person for God to do anything significant through. You think, well, if we had a Moses or we had an Apostle Paul or we had an Apostle Peter, then perhaps, but God's just got me. And you spend your life apologizing to God for the poor deal he got when he saved you. But I promise you, you are the best idea that God ever had. The local church is the best idea that God ever had. And if we don't believe that, we will become another generation that because we didn't believe it, waited and prayed and hoped that God would do something, never knowing that the something God was going to do was us. It's as if God's gone, tag, you're it, and now I want you to go for it. And so instead of running with the purpose of God in our generation and getting out what's in us, we park up and we beg God to do something. And I want you, whatever you're doing that, to rethink that philosophy, or rethink that theology. And I know Tony well enough to know that he and your team understand this, but I don't know whether or not it is sufficiently our DNA yet for our generation to not make the same mistake as previous ones have, where we look to God for something that's already here in the earth, in the church. You know, God's not insecure. He's not threatened by your brilliance. He's not, he's not feeling that you may outshine him. He's not feeling that he is not going to get the credit and the glory for something of brilliance that may tip out of you. God is not really bothered whether or not he creates your flow or he edits a flow that you start all by yourself. God doesn't care about all of that. We care about it more than God does because God lives his life through you, not beside you or in spite of you, but through you. God's outpouring in the earth looks like you and looks like me. God's address on earth is the church, is you and is me. And yet, despite knowing that, we still look to God to do something as if he has a better idea than you. And all around the world, the church seasonally, I've been 35 years in the same church. It's as if we think that, and I hear this cyclically over the years. There is a move of God on. Uh, it could be Pensacola or Toronto or the Florida Revival or whatever is the latest and greatest move of God. And then people in my church would say to me, are you aware of, have you been to, do you know about the move of God? And I got so fed up of that over the years that I would say to our people, first of all, there is no such thing as the move of God. The truth is there are millions of moves of God going on in the earth right now simultaneously, most of which you'll never hear anything about. The ones that get on TV get on TV because they tend to be more manifestation-based. They are people out of wheelchairs and, you know, crippled walking and uh, deaf ears opening and deliverance. It's more spectacular. It's better for TV. And those are the things that tend to get TV attention. So I'd say to my church at home, there is no such thing as the move of God. And if there is, how come the move of God is always where I'm not? You ever notice that? We always have to go to it, get on the plane and go to the move of God. It's never where I am. It's like you're always miscalculating your life. And you're always parking yourself in the wrong place because God's never moving where you are. It's always somewhere else in the world. And so I'd say to our church and I say to you tonight, if I was to say to you, um, 
Is Joyce Meyer a move of God? You'd say, absolutely. Is Lakewood with Joel Osteen, or is Hillsong, or is Reinhard Bonnke? If I mention these well-known, globally known churches or ministries, you would probably not hesitate to say, oh yes, these are definitely moves of God. But the question I'm really interested in, and the answer to the question I'm interested in is this one. Do you believe that this local church here, do you believe that this is a move of God? Because if we don't, and often, the truth is often, we don't use that language for this. Because the move of God is what we in the local church are supposed to go to, to kind of get something we don't get here. To find a God that we don't have here. To find an encounter and to find a depth and to find an anointing and a presence we kind of don't get here. So we run around the world seeking something that all along was in our own backyard. Then we get a theology for it, as I said earlier, and then we get more dug in with our belief system that, that this is too ordinary. This is too ordinary to be called a move of God. Therefore, we devalue us. We underestimate us. We don't believe that we in Adelaide, in this normal town, in this normal area, in this normal experience we have in called local church, that that could be anything that we could honestly call or anyone would ever call, that was, that is a move of God in Adelaide. We don't use that language about us. Now, if some great preacher came to town and held meetings in the arena, people would say, there's a move of God in the city. We should go to the move of God. I believe that many Christians have two gods. They have a local church God and a conference God. And they don't think those two gods know each other. They believe the local church God is like a father. The local church God tells you to grow up and take responsibility and, um, you know, deal with your attitude and get a J-O-B. And... But the conference God is like Father Christmas. The conference God just zaps me and I get called out in the prayer line and people prophesy great things over me. And the local church kind of don't see the potential in me. But when I go to the conference, I just meet a different God, have a different encounter. Then I go back to the local church and I just feel, you know, where is that presence? Where is that anointing? Hence, people get addicted to becoming Christians on tour. Yeah. Moving around these moves of God, devaluing, never believing that this could possibly be a move of God. And it is. And the truth is that this is a generational move of God. This will be here long after the things that come and go to town have come and gone. And we thank God for all of that. But the local church is the gift that keeps on giving. We will be here generation in generation. If we do this thing right, we'll be here generationally. And so if we can't call this a move of God, we shouldn't call anything else that because this is all around the world, this is God's best idea. And because we despise and we get a feeling that this is too mundane, we live here and we spend our days here often waiting and praying for something amazing to happen. When something amazing is already happening in and through you and around you every single day. 
It's kind of when people see your children who haven't seen them for a while and they say to you how much your children are growing and changing. But because you're with them every day, you're not as aware of they are, of the changes in their features, their height, their growth, and so on. When you're in the local church, like I have been for over three decades, you kind of just get your head down and you grow people and you build and you're kind of not aware sometimes of how significant and how major and how influential and how massive the potential is of this here in this room tonight. And so the idea is not to look and turn you back away from all that and take a posture that looks to God to do something when the something He wants to do is you and in you and through you. You are a piece of kit. You are loaded with stuff that will take you millions of years to get out of you. You have, and psychologists and scientists tell us this, you have enough brain power to last you millions of years. You don't need an upgrade. What you've already got has a capacity way, way beyond even this lifetime. And yet again, we look to God for things that are already here in abundance. And when churches do that, we postpone and we delay the significance that we could be enjoying by not looking to a God who's looking to us to get out what's in us. Divine guidance and the will of God and walking in the will of God and getting out what's in us has become quite a drama in much of the church around the world. Many of us have become very stressful about knowing the will of God and walking in the will of God and living a productive life. Some of you, like me, inherited really unhelpful thinking and teaching about that. To me, the will of God, the will of God was like a, a tightrope you could fall off. There was no room for error. And I didn't want to make a mistake. We don't want to be out of the will of God. So it finished up with us doing nothing. And we got parked up in different stages of our life, sometimes for months and years. Is it A or is it B? Is it left or is it right? Whatever those options were that we were facing. And entire groups of people, entire churches would enter into this dialogue and this prayer with God, begging Him to reveal, school one of divine guidance, to reveal His will to us, whilst we did nothing. Whilst we prayed, and I was in a church not long ago, and someone prayed, Lord, we want you to move, like you did in the, in, in the book of Acts. And I thought, well, although the book of Acts is the most supernatural book, perhaps, in the Bible, there's a reason for that. And the clue as to why it was the most supernatural book of the Bible is in the title. It's called the book of Acts. It is a book about a church that were in motion, that were taking risks, that were stepping out. It's not the book of intentions. And often we pray for God to do something without understanding what enables God to do those things is not random and is not difficult to perceive. What enables God to do that is when the people, the church, are a group of people that are committed to getting out what's in them. And then God works with that throughout history. Whatever the church has been significant and difference-making, the common denominator is not God. See, you cannot, track, you cannot track things that don't change for a key to understanding why that generation of the church made more difference than the next one or the last one. You can't find the secret of that in things that don't change. You have to look for things that, you have to look for things that do change, which is us. 
of the caliber of the church. And I preached a, preached a message years ago in Australia and around the world called They Devoted Themselves, which was about where all the energy and the drive and the passion came from in the early church in Acts 2.42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to generosity, to the poor, to fellowship together. All the drive, all the energy, all the passion to do all those things, which we all want to be doing, did not come from leaders, and it didn't come from God. It came from the people. The early church was a grassroots movement. It wasn't a top-down movement. It was a ground-up movement. And that's why the early church moved so quickly, and within 18 years were accused of turning the world upside down. In less than a generation. Why? God was no different. His will and purpose were no different. The tools to get the job done were no different. But the caliber of the people was different. And I tell you, for the first 15, 18 years of my ministry, I didn't know what I'm telling you tonight. I had a different philosophy that was more subscribing to school one of divine guidance. And we were good people and we loved God and we were a good church, but we weren't doing anything. And we prayed and we sang and we worshiped and we intended to make a difference. The truth was that, that, that our church was in the city, but the city was not in the church. In our theology it was, because we sang over them, we prophesied over them, we prayed over them, we called them from the north, south, east, and west, we wept over them, but the truth was we didn't talk to them, we didn't reach them, we didn't include them. We had, we had an all-inclusive philosophy and theology, but we had an exclusive lifestyle, because we kind of just somehow believed that God would zap our city. And that would all just pour into the church. And if you're believing that, I promise you, millions before you believed that and never saw it happen. It might happen, but I, if I were you, I'd live as if it wouldn't. And in the meantime, get busy getting out what's in you. The one big thing I've learned over 30 years of trying to understand and discern and explain how God works in the earth and how God gets his will done and how God guides us into productivity and influence and difference making is that God is drawn to movement. God is drawn to movement. That's what the book of Acts was, people in motion. But what we have is a church often parked up asking him to move. But God doesn't work that way. David said the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Solomon said in Proverbs that a man's mind plans his way, but God directs his steps. What part of steps don't we understand? Steps is a metaphor for motion. God is drawn to people in motion. This motion doesn't need to be forensic, doesn't need to be brilliant, doesn't need to be understandable, doesn't need to be popular. It's just motion. God just wants us to point our lives in the non-specific general direction of where our church and our lives should be pointing. I read in National Geographic magazine some time ago that the amazing piece of kit called the Space Shuttle has a phenomenal state-of-the-art guidance system in its wiring, which of course it would cost, and money is no object. But the guidance system is not engaged until that shuttle has left the Earth's atmosphere. Well, you think, well, why is that? Why wouldn't they click it in as they launch. Well, there's a simple reason as to why they don't need it for the first few hundred miles. It's because the moon is up and it's big. <laughs> and you can't miss it. Seriously, that's the only reason. How much guidance do you need to get in the general area of the moon? 
yet we have Christians and churches parked up saying, God, show me how to get to the moon that you can see. We can see that people need help. We can see that we can be an answer to an issue. We can see that we can make a difference. And yet, despite getting out what's in us that could alleviate that need, that could answer that issue, that could change that situation, that piece of wisdom, that love, that grace, that mercy, that second chance that we can, despite knowing that we carry that, we park up and we pray for God to guide us. And God's saying, there's nothing to guide. Give me something to guide. Move. Do something. Hey, two-thirds of God's name is go. There's a clue. And two-thirds of God's name backwards is do. There's another clue. God's been going and doing for centuries. And yet we as the church still don't get it that God's going and doing because we won't go and do anything unless God tells us where to go and what to do. And the philosophy of great leaders and great moves of God throughout history was not that. The philosophy of those that have blazed a trail in history and are today is that God, they may not have a language for it like this. They may have a different language. But when you analyze it and when you look at churches and people who are making a difference for God, I promise you, you will find people that are just getting out what's in them, that are just attempting stuff for God. And it's not perfect and it's not brilliant and it's not thought through sometimes, no more than it was in the book of Acts. The apostle Paul finished up in jail and being flogged and stoned, but he was a man in motion. But I tell you something, if he was pastoring this church, he'd leave. He'd say, where's Tony? He's in jail again. What? He was in jail a few months ago. I know. But he keeps doing stuff. He keeps opening his mouth. He keeps attempting stuff. And so he's in jail again. Why is Tony on stage with his leg in plaster? Because he opened his mouth. He tried to reach people. He spoke out against the status quo. And yet again, he was beaten black and blue. And he had to sit down this morning because he bears on his body the marks, as Paul said he did of himself. You would question this man's leadership if his track record was Paul's. Where's Tony? He's been missing three weeks. He's shipwrecked out at sea somewhere. You know, we get an SOS. You know, I'll see you when I can. I'm clinging onto a piece of wreckage. That was the Apostle Paul. He was a genius. Perhaps the greatest leader that ever lived. We're still trying to figure out stuff Paul talked about. He was brilliant. And yet in Acts 16, he's there with his apostolic team. And he turns to them and says, let's go and preach the word of God in Asia. And we're told because Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke's, Luke writes, the spirit of God said, no, I don't want you in Asia. Wrong. So he turns around and says to the team, it's not Asia. I got that wrong. Sorry, lads. Um, <laughs> tell you what, let's try Bithynia or modern day Turkey. Let's go to Bithynia. And then the spirit of God said, I don't want you there either. Ooh, sorry, lads, got it wrong again. <laughs> so they all go to sleep. And in his sleep, God sends him a dream. In the dream, he sees a man in Macedonia, in Greece, saying, come and help us. And he wakes up the next morning, tells them the dream. And Luke says, we concluded that God was calling us to go to this place, to Philippi, as it, as it turned out, and, and meet the jailer, and you know the rest of the story. Now, we concentrate on the vision that took them there. But before that, rewind a little bit. We've got this man, this great leader. You know, I joke about Christians needing angels river dancing on the duvet to tell them this is God before they believe it is. Paul had angels river dancing on the duvet. He said, I went to the third heaven and saw things like that. I mean, he's the man, but he didn't have a clue 
where he was going. Talk about divine guidance. He was useless. Because Paul's philosophy was this. Unless God stops me, I'm going. Rather than unless God starts me, I won't move. His mindset was everywhere's fair game. Every nation is an opportunity. I'm just going to go and God will have to stop me. What you don't find is when the Spirit of God said to him, I don't want you there, Paul didn't curl up in a ball and say, Lord, I just need, I don't know, anybody follows me ever again. I cannot, I shouldn't be a leader. I should have a sabbatical. I keep getting this direction thing wrong. I know I'm writing the New Testament. I know I you know, went to the third heaven, but I can't even give direction to my team. He didn't say that. He just kept going in the belief that eventually he would find people that needed him. He would find an open door, but he didn't park up saying, Lord, show me where to go. He was a man, as was the entire book of Acts in motion. Your greatest gift to God is not you speaking in tongues and glowing in the dark when the anointing's on you. As I know some of you do occasionally. Your greatest gift to God is motion. Is mobility. Because God is drawn to motion. You know, God can do more through a heathen that's in motion with an intent to add value to people than he can with a church praying about God to do something while they are in inertia and inactivity. This is not complicated. You'd think it was, but this is not complicated. It's simple. It's so simple, it's scary. Some of you would like this to be far more complex than it is because it excuses your inactivity. But I promise you, if you will even this week live your week with motion and with attempting things and reaching out and getting out what's in you, you will have a very different week. And the reason it will be different is not because God changed, but because you gave God a gift this week that he's been looking for from your life for a while. It is motion, it is movement, it is momentum. God's guidance in your life is kind of like GPS. I was driving to Scotland, to Glasgow, some time ago, and I put GPS coordinates in my car to a hotel in the center of Glasgow. I am now three hours driving north. Not a word from GPS. Then as I got nearer to Glasgow, to the outskirts of the city, a woman's voice began to speak to me, saying to me, prepare to take the next turn right 500 meters from there to the hotel. I couldn't shut up. She was just telling me, turn left, turn right, telling me, just barraged me with guidance. But for three hours, going north, nothing. God is like that. God is, God is not big on detail. If you don't understand that about God, you'll get upset with him. Because some of you are really big on detail and you're angry with God because he isn't. You know, three hours going north, GPS never said to me, because I'm thinking I've overshot, I took a wrong turn, maybe a sign on the road back there, maybe I should have taken that turn off. You know, in your head you're thinking, I'm probably gone wrong here because there's nothing... In all that time, I'm feeling insecure. I'm thinking I've taken a wrong turn. GPS never said to me, you're doing fantastic. <laughs> there was no reassurance. There was no, don't, we know you think you've gone wrong, but you haven't. You're okay. Nothing. God is like that. But some of you nag him to death to assure you that it was A and it wasn't B. Because the thing about GPS, if you take a wrong turn with GPS, the next time she speaks, it's not with attitude. 
I told you to turn right. Are you stupid? How hard can this be? Is it? She just goes quiet. She recalibrates your options and offers you new suggestions, just like God. But some of you are so scared of taking a wrong turn that you won't make any movement at all. Listen, God would rather you make a wrong decision than no decision. If you make a wrong decision with a good heart, God can get you back from anywhere that that took you. Just like a parent with a child. If a child makes a decision to put food in its own mouth, or use the bathroom itself, or pick up its own clothes, parents don't say to the children, I don't want you to ever do that again unless I tell you to. Or unless I get credit for it. Don't you be getting, don't you be getting too big for your boots thinking you can decide that by yourself. No, it is yippee. I have seven grandchildren. When my grandchildren do something for themselves, my kids that are their parents tell me, and I remember from when, you know, they were my kids and they were young. It's, you know, there's no film crew films. It's not going to be on CNN that, that the kid put food in its own mouth that day. But in that family, in your family, it's like, yay, because we all get to eat at the same time. Or when your kid uses the bathroom itself, it's like, yay, you go crazy encouraging the child to use the bathroom, it's like, yay, yay, because you want them not to go back to diapers or nappies, whatever you call them here, but stay with that bathroom thing. It's a big day for you, and you're encouraging it. You're not threatened by the child's independence or the child's doing something without asking you. God's like that with you, but we think that God's going to be upset because you get out what's in you, or, you, or God forbid, you have an idea. Or God forbid, you make a decision all by yourself without any guidance at all. <laughs> well, I, I need to know. You know, when, when, when Abraham was told to separate from Lot, Abraham said to Lot, if you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. Now, Lot was going to choose the most selfish option for himself because he was wired that way. And he's going to leave Abraham with the worst of those two options for grazing his flock, his cattle. And so Lot chose the verdant, lush pastures of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he left Abraham with the higher land, which was not as lush, not as good for raising his cattle. But the reason Abraham could say, you go left, I'll go right, is because Abraham knew God's blessing wasn't left or right. God's blessing was on him. If you go left or right, don't you think God could bless you either way? Sometimes it's not either or. God's saying, I don't really care. You make a decision. How can you be called God's friend if you can't ever make a decision? Because Jesus said, I no, no longer call you servants, I'll call you friends. You can't be in a friendship and it's always one way that God never lets you make a decision. God wants you. Part of getting out what's in you is going to entail making decisions, attempting things. I tell you, in the late 90s, 1998, 99, I decided to reinvent, re-engineer our church in a book I wrote called Crossing Over, that yellow cover book out there. And I never asked God, should I do that? I just got fed up with the church as it was. We can get the band back up here now, guys, by the way. Come back up here. If I say that gives you hope, we're finished. <laughs> I never, I don't remember God telling me to do it. So I couldn't say to the church, God has told me to reinvent this church, re-engineer this church, cross this church over. 
But on my darkest day of that reinvention, and there were some very dark days as I battled with the church mafia. Every church has them. They're not necessarily Italian, but every church has them. And they're just as controlling as the mafia can be, and just as intimidating to a pastor with a new idea as they were to me. And on my darkest day with people leaving and finances dropping and all kinds of stuff being said about me personally and friends of ours leaving the church, it was very painful. But on my darkest day, God never said to me, this wasn't my idea. He never said that to me. And he'll never say it to you either. Just because I had that idea to change that church because I was tired with how stuck we'd become and how inward looking we'd become, I had that idea. And I think, God, was that's a good idea. That's cool. Go ahead. God didn't say to me, I don't, well, it's your own fault. You should have asked me about it. You should have asked me to send angels to Riverdance on the duvet. Then you would have known. I didn't do that. I just said, this is not good. It's not working. I'm fed up. I'm frustrated. I think we should do something. Your frustration is movement. Your being fed up is motion. I don't mean just physical, practical motion. I mean frustration, fed up. I've got to change this thing. I can do better. Even anger is all part of movement that you shouldn't discount as irrelevant because that's the beginning of what will become something people point to and say, this is brilliant. That's a great idea. That's a great ministry. That's making a difference. He didn't start that way. If I could ultrasound scan your soul tonight and put it on screen, it would be the beginnings. It would look like the beginnings of what people will put a name to five years from now. It will be recognizable. It'll have a title and a badge and a salary and a ministry five, ten years from now. But right now, it's kind of like those ultrasound scans you see. It looks like the dark side of the moon. You don't know what it is. But it's already in you. It's begun. But the problem is we don't recognize that as motion. So we don't look at it. We don't give attention to it. We don't feed it. We don't grow it. We don't pour it out. We don't talk to anyone about it. And we just kind of wait for something to arrive fully formed fully staffed, fully resourced. I tell people not just, don't come and ask me what you should do with your life. Don't come and ask me what's your ministry. It's not my job. My job is to create a culture where you can be empowered to get out what's in you. That's my gift to you, to create a climate and an environment where you get to thrive. My job is not to tell you what's in you. And I've created a culture in our church in the last 15 years where people are pouring out what's in them. And we've grown more in the last 12 years on the previous 25. And I believe it's something to do with this shift that we've made. And I hope you can make to where you need to. To becoming this person in motion. And even you that are sat there tonight saying, I know he doesn't mean me. You that maybe come late and leave early because you kind of don't feel you belong or you're connected here. Maybe you don't feel you're one of these super saints that are in the room. I'm talking to you especially tonight. Maybe you that feel you've life's a failure or you've made a mistake or you think, well, I know you don't mean me tonight. I hate messages like this because you don't mean me tonight. I mean especially you because there is brilliance and there is genius and there are dreams and there are gifts and there are abilities and intuitions inside you that people are waiting for. But it will never happen. It will never become a practical reality that touches their world unless you start to get out what's in you. And that's not dramatic. No one's going to applaud you. It'll just be a phone call you need to make. Something you need to say. A friendship you need to make. Something you need to volunteer to make a difference in. A little bit of belief in yourself. An idea you need to express. 
It starts there. It's not massive, but the accumulative effect over a period of time of all those small incremental things becomes a huge difference-making contribution you make to the people in your world. And some of it in this room could be global. And you say, well, I don't think global. I don't travel anywhere. I haven't got a passport. I don't care. You'll never know what's in you until you start to get it out. This city, this town, this country is aching for, is looking for, is groaning for a move of you. An outpouring of you. Not God, but an outpouring of you. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 